You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the Becca Cook Show. I'm Becca Cook, and today I have a very special guest, Jack Phillips. You may remember him, you may know of him. He's the owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, and he's just written an amazing book called The Cost of My Faith, How a Decision in My Cake Shop Took Me to the Supreme Court. Welcome, Jack, and his lawyer is joining us as well, Jonathan Scruggs, and welcome, you guys. Thank you, Beckett. I'm honored to be here today. And just so my audience is aware, why is your lawyer with us on this on this uh, interview? Well, we are still in court. We just finished in the end of March um, our a trial in our third lawsuit, and so we are currently waiting for the judge to announce his decision on that. And so my lawyer is here to help, you know, guide and protect me, and make sure that I don't say anything that. Right. Okay. Good. Good. Um, and so for those who don't remember kind of the, the, who are fuzzy on the details, tell us what, remind us what happened on July 19th, 2012, when two gay men walked into your cake shop and asked you to design their wedding cake. Yeah, it was a beautiful July afternoon, sunny and bright and uh, a couple of girls working for me. They were busy in the front. And so um, when these two gentlemen came into my shop, sat down at the wedding desk since they were both occupied it was my duty to go over and sit down and and uh talk with them and so we went over made introductions and the one on my right said i'm david the one on my left charlie what can i do for you guys we're here to look at wedding cakes it's for our wedding and i said no sorry guys i don't do cakes for same-sex weddings they looked at me you know like what i'll make you birthday cakes shower cakes sell you cookies and brownies but I don't do cakes for same-sex weddings, at which point they both stomped out of the store, swearing at me, flipping me off, and like, well, I wasn't expecting that. You know, I just told them I would serve them other, anything else in my shop, but I just couldn't create that particular cake because the iconic nature of a wedding cake. Was that the first time that uh, a gay, like a gay person asked you to design a wedding cake? Um, no, it's actually the fourth or fifth time and the other ones we were always able to discuss it and you know, make it clear that you know it's not your sexual orientation it's just the uh nature of the cake the message of a wedding cake is you know pretty simply understood and uh, create anything else but i couldn't create that yeah, yeah and you talk about this in the book you say what other kinds of cakes for example would you not design well before uh, we opened my wife and i many discussions about what the cake shop would look like, but uh, we decided before we opened that we wouldn't do cakes, for instance, that celebrate Halloween, or cakes that would uh, be un-American or racist, or that would degrade or denigrate other people, um, including people who identify as LGBT. And uh, we had guidelines that we just couldn't, wouldn't cross. And then after Charlie and David kind of stormed out of your, your shop, you started getting, uh, basically legal notices where you found out that they were suing you, right? Right. Um, 
they stormed out of my shop and I started getting hateful phone calls and emails within like 20 minutes. By the time I came in the next morning, I had a couple hundred emails in my in my box, you know, just all hateful and phone calls, the phones were ringing all day long. And I'm not sure how long it took before I actually got the notices from the state. I think it was October, from July to October. But I was aware that there was a complaint filed until you know, right, right at the beginning. Right. And how, when did you realize that the legal troubles were getting really serious? Um, right away. Um, they, the two gentlemen came in on a Thursday. And by uh, uh, the following Tuesday, four days later, I'd been connected with uh, attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom. And uh, I knew that uh, I wasn't going to have to hire my uncle to help me defend myself <laughs> or anything like that. And I'd be regretting it forever because ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, they're the best at this. And they um, have been right beside me all the way through and guided me and coached me and you know, advised me. and been a wonderful relationship. Yeah. And, and many people, as you say in the book, many people have asked you why not just bake the cake. And because a lot of Christians, I feel like today in our culture would just kind of look the other way maybe, and just make a concession and sort of just, you know, look, I don't want to get into a bunch of legal problems and trouble. Like I'm just going to bake this cake and it's not going to be a big deal. And I'm going to look the other way. Why didn't you just bake the cake? Um, like I said, there were a number of cakes, different kinds of cakes that we knew couldn't create <clears throat> the Halloween cakes. That comes up every year, and we have to uh, decline to create those because of my my beliefs. And uh, so that was actually a good practice when these other cases came up, other cake orders came up, that uh, this is a line in the sand, and I already knew how to approach that line and cross it and try and be as gracious and kind as I could. And uh, I just couldn't couldn't cross the line is basically what it was. Yeah. And you mention in the book, uh, you talk about Romans 13 and your decision to fight this in court. Romans, and I'll just r- remind our audience what Romans 13 says. It says, uh, in your, and this is taken from your book too, let the, this translation, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Give to everyone what is uh, owed to them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So tell us how your decision to fight this kind of comports with Romans 13. Yeah. Well, in the first place, as I've been asked that before, the uh, government gives us the option to go to court to defend these things, as well as the fact that in our government, we have a constitution that our government is supposed to protect and you know, protect our rights. Among them are uh, the right free exercise of religion. And this is what that was. It was a speech right, uh, because I didn't want to create that message of the wedding cake. And it's also a right to freely express my faith. And so our government is supposed to protect that right. And when they weren't, there's also steps in in our constitution, state constitution and U.S. constitution, where we are able to uh, go to a a court system like this and and fight through these things. And I think you're in the book, you said your legal defense was a quote unquote rights of conscience defense. Can you sort of explain what that means? 
on the rights of consciences, they're asking me to create a message. Again, that's part of the speech, but it's they're asking to make me create a message in a cake. And to me, the uh, wedding cake is an iconic symbol. It's a message in and of itself. If you were to uh, be at a hotel and walk into a conference room, you were there for a business meeting, and you walk into a conference room and you see a three-tier cake or something like that in the corner, you know it's not a business meeting. You know without having to ask anybody, it's a wedding. So that wedding cake is a message. And to create that wedding cake, um, the Bible defines that a, a marriage is between a man and a woman. And so this cake would be a message that would uh, go against my biblical belief. So it's asking me to violate my conscience to create this cake. And, uh, Create a message that I can't do. And what is the distinction between, you talk about this too, what is the distinction between freedom of religion, because people confuse this a lot, and freedom of worship? Um, the Constitution declares it is to be freedom of religion. So um, a lot of what the freedom of worship is, is defined, you know, at least promoted as what you do in church. Freedom of religion is what you do in your life. And in my case, um, I want the uh, government to protect my right to freely exercise my faith when I'm at the cake shop, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm at the park, not just when I'm in the uh, halls of worship in in a church. Right. And the, so the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which is a panel of seven gubernatorial appointees, they ruled against you, right? And then you chose to appeal to the Colorado Court of Appeals. What was the crux of your appeal? Um, the same thing, that uh, the state was forcing me to, through the uh, arm of the uh, Civil Rights Commission to create cakes that weren't against my conscience. And so we were asking the Court of Appeals to reverse that decision and allow me to um, obey my conscience and create cakes that are in line with that. And you talk about, in the book, you talk about there's there was this kind of, there's this double standard because there was another Denver bakery who did something almost identical to what you did. Can you, but they, they did not, uh, they were not persecuted or in any way. So can you tell us why that happened or what that was was about? Yeah. There was a gentleman here in Denver who went to at least three different bakeries and asked them to create cakes with, uh, they were shaped like a Bible with a, you know, a message on there, um, like a red circle with the extra, um, with silhouettes of two men getting married. And it was a, a message on a cake that said that homosexuality or homosexual marriage is wrong. And so he asked these uh, bakeries to create those cakes, and they all declined to do that because they disagreed with the message of it. And uh, that's exactly what we were doing. We were willing to serve these people, the two men that served me the first time, and the, the person that's serving me in this third lawsuit, second and third lawsuit. But we can't create all cakes. And so the Civil Rights Commission said, they're not turning you away. They're only turning away the message. And they have that right. But I did not have that right. Yeah, it's a bizarre, bizarre double standard. Um, And the the commission said some very hateful things about you. And you said, you mentioned that this, one of the most painful things about it was, talk about this a little bit, because your dad was in World War II, correct? And he was actually right. in Buchenwald, the concentration camp, which is yeah. I, this is crazy. So tell us what was so painful about hearing what the commission was saying about you. One of the commissioners, um, we have it recorded on tape, 
um, that it was that religious freedom is a despicable piece of rhetoric, and people have used it to do all kinds of things like uh, you know slavery and the Holocaust. And so she was comparing my decision not to create a cake that went against my faith to the Holocaust. And I thought this woman either doesn't know what the Holocaust is or is ignoring the facts or the atrocities of it, you know, just on a basic level. But then again, like you say, my dad served in World War II and he landed on Normandy and he <sighs> gets me every time, hang on. <laughs> he fought through France and he fought through Germany. He's in the Battle of the Bulge. He was wounded in a mortar attack, a big jagged scar across his back and a Purple Heart. They sent him to England. They patched him back up and sent him back into uh, combat again. And from there, he ended up being part of the group that uh, liberated Buchenwald uh, prison camp, concentration camp. And he spoke of the, you know, the horrors of that and the smells, especially I remember mentioning that. But if you look up Buchenwald, the pictures are horrific. And for this commissioner to compare this decision to that was just ludicrous. Yeah, I've been to Buchenwald and it's uh, it's very disturbing. And so what was, and tell us what the outcome of that appeal was. The uh, Court of Appeals ruled three to nothing in favor of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, meaning I lost and the commission's ruling against me would stand. Part of which would be that I would need to um, retrain my staff. I changed, have to change all my policies, start creating cakes that go against my faith and retrain my staff in the errors of my way and report to the commission quarterly for two years on that. And the retraining, <laughs> I was funny because it's a, a very small shop and my wife and I own it. My daughter works for me, you know, various relatives, including my, my mom who was in her eighties. And she walked up to me one day and said, by the way, I won't be re-educated. And so I, I thank you, mom. I, I love you and <laughs> I appreciate that. So um, for them to do that, that's what the, the Court of Appeals initially or came back and said that those rulings now stand. So our next step would be to appeal to the Colorado Supreme Court, state Supreme Court. Right. And it, I mean, that sounds very like Mao's cultural revolution in China, yeah. uh, the re-education re camps. Yeah. Um, and so the government, you, you, you talked about this before, but the government was essentially ordering you to, to violate your conscience. Now, was there ever a moment through this kind of first tier or second tier of this where you were like sort of wavering and and kind of wondering if you should just give in and do you know do what they said or or just not you know or just bake the cake no i would i would close the the cake shop down before i would you know start creating cakes like that that was never in question the question was, you know, how far could we go? Would, you know, ADF be able to, you know, take us to the next step? I learned that the uh, Colorado State Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court have discretion in which cases they take. And the state Supreme Court declined to hear my case. And so I thought if it was over, we were done, but there was only one option left. And that would be the, uh, to appeal to the United States Supreme Court. And so yeah. we were willing to do that. But was the court willing to hear our case? That was the big question. Well, apparently the court was willing to hear your case. And tell us what the odds are of the U.S. Supreme Court hearing yeah. your case. The odds are extremely small that you will be heard. You know, they are petitioned with 8,000 to 10,000 cases every year. And they will only grant 70 or 80 of them. And those cases have to be 
know, usually like uh, two circuit courts, Ninth Circuit and the Fourth Circuit rule differently on two different things. And so that's called a circuit split. And so they have to justify that, that this, you know, the Constitution can't mean one thing in California and another thing in Florida. It has to mean the same thing all across the board. So they're dealing with, you know, larger cases like that. And from my case, we came from not a circuit court or district court or any large thing. It was kind of a standalone case. And the uh, basically, we were coming from a court of appeals, so we didn't make it to the state Supreme Court. But the odds then are incredibly against us. You have to have four of the justices agree to take your case. So they all four, at least four, have to go over every aspect of your case and make sure it's worth their time and worth their effort and the energy they would take to to you know take this case to uh, court. And we got that. Yeah. And what was it like when you found out that you were going to the Supreme Court? What was that? What did what were you feeling? That was one of the craziest days of my life. Um, there's a website called SCOTUS blog and SCOTUS stands for Supreme Court of the US. And it's a website that you can follow any case that you want to that they're looking at. Um, I followed my case for months going up to it as it was relisted, which means that they had it in front of them. They talked about it and they said, let's not decide this week, let's put it off till next week, let's put it off, let's put it off. And so I knew that it was being conferenced or talked about every week. And it was drawing to the end of the court session where they break for the summer and it was the last week of the court. And I was watching my computer and I had SCOTUS blog turned on, confident that we'd get a decision whether it were denied or the cert had been granted. And when I saw on the screen, this, these five words, Masterpiece Cake Shop has been granted. It gets me still. This is like six, four years ago, five years ago, and it's still, I can't breathe. I couldn't breathe in. I had to text people. And the only one I had to uh, talk to, the only one in the shop besides myself was a homeless man who comes in. And so I turned to him and I said, hey, I get to go to the Supreme Court. And he looked at me and said, yeah, I got to go to court on Wednesday. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but I don't need a parole officer, but just to understand the gravity of the United States Supreme Court, you know, people say, I'm going to sue you, I'm going to take this to the Supreme Court. Don't understand how it works. And for them to grant it was just an incredible thing. And was the, I, I can't remember, I think you mentioned this in the book, that was the essential uh point to take it to the supreme court was it about freedom of speech it, we asked him to uh reverse the case based on both the speech and the religious components of it right and then uh, and then june 4th 2018 you won yeah. you won at the supreme court and it was a 7-2 ruling ginsburg and sotomayor dissented of course but uh what was i mean obviously that was an amazing occasion. What was that like when you won? That was just as emotional a day as the day that they granted cert. And I was even more surprised because this was three weeks before the end of the session. And I was pretty confident that they wouldn't make the announcement until the last day, like they granted my cert on the last day, the year before. But I happened to be watching the SCOTUS blog then too. And it's, you know, we have masterpiece. And wow. I'm, you know, it looks like they win. And it's seven to two. And I'm sitting at my computer. I'm like, yeah, you know, what just happened? Immediately the phone starts ringing. People are driving by my shop. They're honking, they're waving. And it was just an incredible day. It's like a David Goliath story. It's amazing. And, and then you mentioned in the book, what was, 
because this was interesting. What was one of the keys to winning the case, according to the Supreme Court? Why did they rule in your favor? One of the key factors was the hostility that we talked about before. The commissioner comparing my case to the uh, to the Holocaust. It was I forget how they phrased it. Um, impermissible hostility, clear and impermissible hostility, or whatever. And then the other component, one of the other main components, was the inequity um, that they would that the commission would come after me for my case and leave this other these other three bakeries for their um, denial of creating cakes that went against their conscience. And those two things were two of the keys to that whole comp- whole decision. Right. And you mentioned that the commission's actions violated the free exercise clause. What is that? What does that mean again? The free exercise clause? That Congress shall pass no law establishing a religion or prohibiting, it's not the right word, prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So in essence, they were saying, you can have your religion, you can do whatever you want to, you just can't you know, exercise it in your cake shop. You can only do it in your church. So the right. establishment clause and the they weren't establishing, but the um, exercise clause said that I can't exercise my faith, that they were openly hostile to that. And then you had three weeks after you won, you had three weeks of kind of calm and normalcy again. But then suddenly you were right back where you started because um, a local Denver attorney named Autumn Scardina, a transgender attorney named Autumn Scardina, walked in to your cake shop and ended up filing charges against you. Uh, What was that like? Okay, so on the timeline, um, this attorney, Scardina, called us the first crazy day when the court granted cert. My average day, I would take 25 to 30 phone calls, you know, for cake orders, whatever. That particular day, um, looking at records, we had somewhere around 300 phone calls. And this Scardina attorney called us that day, the day that the court granted our case, and requested another cake, which essentially was a message that we couldn't create. It was a cake that would be blue on the outside and pink on the inside. And those colors were to celebrate this attorney's uh, gender transition, changing from man right. to a woman. So again, we told this attorney, you know, we'll create any other cake that you'd like. Well, not any other cake, but we'll create other custom work for you and you're welcome in our shop and, and all that, but I can't create that cake. So then fast forward then to the day that the three weeks after the court ruled in our favor, then we got notice that the Civil Rights Commission had taken up the complaint that this attorney had filed the year before and said that there was probable cause to pursue an almost identical case again. Well, that's what that's what I don't get. And you talk about it in the book, but I still can't process it in my brain. If the Supreme Court ruled in your favor, how could this happen again? Well, I'm not sure how good of an analogy this is. And John can correct me here. But uh, it's like if I were speeding down my street and I get a ticket and I go to court and beat it, they're saying I'm speeding down the street again or I ran a red light. So I'm getting a new ticket. I'm not being, I'm not able to base my new ticket that I will, you know, I already beat that speeding ticket last year. You know, no, now you have a new one. So the cases were similar or identical in nature, but two separate charges. So yeah. the court's duty is then to, you know, file a complaint, see if there's probable cause. The commission, like I said, it's a an appointed body appointed by the governor. They decided that they have probable cause to pursue the case. And how did that that first case with uh, Autumn Scardina end? How did that case end? Yes. 
two years ago in March, we were ready to go into a deposition. And as we sat down at the conference table with their lawyers on one side and our attorneys on the other and court reporters and videographers, stenographers, ready to take down every word as this attorney tries to you know, basically destroy me in the next six hours. Um, they said, we need to have a, a meeting and ask the recorder and the stenographer to leave. And the meeting then was to say, this isn't the vehicle that we want to use. So we're willing to dismiss the charges against Jack. If we had a, a lawsuit against them also in federal court. Then you dropped the suit. And that was really based on the fact that we had a recording of this same commission, this new commission, saying that they embraced the hostility of the first commission. And so if they were to go forward, they would not be successful. They knew they would lose. And so they would rather drop the case than than uh, go ahead and lose. Yes, but and then, but it's still not over because on June 5th, 2019, Autumn Scardina filed a new case against you. And I don't know how much you can talk about, but why, why did that happen? And where is, where is, where are you in that case? Yeah, so this attorney had an option of appealing the commission's uh, decision to dismiss the case, but rather than appealing that, waited um, whatever the time period was over 90 days and then file a civil lawsuit against me. So now this is not the state suing me, right. this, this attorney suing me personally. And just this past March, just a few weeks ago, we were in court via Zoom, just like this. The, the judge was in his chambers in Denver and I was in the offices there in Scottsdale with uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. And so we were put on the witness stand, my wife and my daughter and myself and the attorney Scardina and uh, a couple other people. So we had that trial, you know, direct examination, cross-examination, all those things. And then we are now waiting for the judge to announce that decision. Wow. And how soon, how soon will you know that decision? There's not a timeline. It could be this afternoon. It could be next week. It could be July. So we're just waiting, you know, waiting and waiting. Yeah. And are you, in the meantime, are you still able to create custom cakes? We are. Um, We've just decided through all this until it's fully resolved that we won't create wedding cakes or anniversary cakes, things, you know, in that field. And there are practical reasons for that as well as, you know, emotional reasons, logical reasons. But uh, until those are resolved, this is our biggest time of year with graduation cakes and, you know, birthday birthday cakes, shower cakes, all those. We do those all the time. And you mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. and them being in exile in Babylon. And I actually mentioned them and I, I do a whole chapter in my book on Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but how you mentioned in your book, how did you draw inspiration from Shadrach and his friend's story? Um, in a couple of ways. For one, they weren't in their, their home village. They weren't in Jerusalem. They had been the whole nation being captured and carried off to Babylon. They were slaves. And they had to do what the what the king wanted them to do. And this king, Nebuchadnezzar, was an evil, wicked, ruthless man. And if you didn't do exactly what he wanted, you were dead. That's all there was to it. And it wouldn't be you know, a sleeping pill or anything like that. It could be a gruesome death. But they were willing to stand and do what God wanted them to do, what they knew was expected of them from the law in, in Israel, and to obey and honor the Lord God, Jehovah. Yeah, they basically, and I say this in my book, they they refused to bow down to culture, basically, is right. essentially what they were doing. 
and they were willing to go into a fiery furnace uh, rather than compromise their convictions, like just like uh, you did. Uh, there was no fiery furnace, but it's, it's no, basically. But they, also, they also said, you know, our God is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we still will obey him. And we're going through the courts, and if we win, great. If not, we're still going to do our best to obey him. And you talk about also you just in a personal on a personal level, you talk about how the cake shop over the years brought you and your father closer together, because I think you said that when you when you were young, you you weren't really that close with him and there was kind of a distance. And um, but the cake shop really brought you close. Tell us how that happened. Well, it wasn't a, a distance like I never saw my dad. You know, he never came to baseball games. I didn't play baseball anyway, but we would play catch out in the field and. And he would take me fishing, but he had a job to do, and I had friends, and so we just didn't have the opportunity to be really close. But uh, I love my dad a great deal, and he loved me. Um, but then when we opened the shop, um, I was nervous actually to tell him that I was going to go into business for myself because he was a meat cutter and he hated working with the public. And he said, "I don't care what you do for a living, son. Just don't work in the public." And so working in a bakery is fine. I'm in the back doing all kinds of things. And then when I decided it was time to open my own cake shop, it's like, how am I going to tell my dad that I'm going to do this and I'm going to be working not only with the public, I'm going to be the one who's in charge of everything. And so when I finally told him, he's like, that's great. When? Where? How do we get going? And he came in the very first day when we unlocked the door to the shop and was here every day since then. And let me uh, hang this up here. They've got the phone upstairs. So you can see how many phone calls I get. I've been here with you for a half hour, and that's the first phone call. And then the day that Scardina called, and the other day that the court granted her, it was like ring, hang up, ring, hang up. And all wow. But anyway, my dad then came down, helped me do the remodel, the tenant finished up. He was here virtually every day. He We opened in 93, and he passed away in 96. So those three years were valuable to me because he would come in every day, have muffins and coffee. And he was, he's a gregarious guy who, though he said never work with the public, there wasn't really anybody who would ever come in the shop that he wouldn't try and befriend right off the bat. So it right. was fun having him around and getting to know him a little bit better. I mean, how has all of this drama for the last nine plus years, I guess it's nine years. Almost um, nine. Almost nine. How has this all been on your family? It's been good. It's drawn us all closer together. I have a sister who lives in Indianapolis and I talk to her regularly. Another sister who lives across town here, I see her two, three times a week and, and they pray for me and they support us. And you know, my mom just passed away in November, um, but she was here working up until I think she was 88, 89 years old. And so she, you know, the last three, four years she wasn't here. But it's it's been great. My daughter works for me and it's helped her to uh, uh, this whole case wake up really um the bible jesus talks about a tells a parable about 10 virgins who were uh waiting for a, a wedding feast and they were all asleep because it happens in the middle of the night in the culture or whatever and they said you know the bridegroom's coming all 10 of them wake up five of them are prepared for the wedding ceremony and five of them are not and that's you know a great parable but it also in my mind spoke to me that I was asleep too, just like all 10 of them were asleep. Five of them were prepared and God had prepared us for this battle. But until that day came, I was asleep and talked this over with my daughter. And she says the same thing. She had a wake up call and it just changed. This whole thing has changed her, her life spiritually. 
even though she was a, a follower of Jesus before that, now she's a dedicated follower of Jesus. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And this was an interesting factoid from your book. How did you come up with the the name Masterpiece Cake Shop? What, what was the story? Well, that goes back that? when I graduated high school, I needed a job. And a man that lived across the street from me owned a large wholesale bakery, you know, like 100 employees and conveyor belts full of donuts and Danish. And he was gracious enough to hire me. And I fell in love with baking. You know, it took a while to get acclimated to actually working for a living because I'd worked in pizza parlors in school and you just show up. Um, but after I got acclimated to that, I thought, this is a job that I could do. I could do this, you know, long term. And later on, I thought, I'd like to own my own bakery. And then one day, I found out that this the owner of the bakery had bought out another bakery and brought in cake cake decorators and i'd never seen that so rather than making 100 cakes at a time these people were making one cake at a time and it was one custom cake at a time and i have an artistic background that we go through in the book also in the cost of my faith um and i knew at that point when he brought them in that's what i was going to do with my future i was going to open my own bakery someday and it would be a, a bakery where i would use the canvas of the cake and turn it into hopefully art to help people celebrate. And I came up with the name almost immediately. And and I'm not generally that creative with words. I'm creative with you know the other physical media, sculpting, painting, those kind of things. But the name came to me right away, Masterpiece Cake Shop. And Masterpiece in my mind said, art cake shop says cake. That means you're not gonna walk in there thinking you're gonna get a loaf of bread or a pie. Hopefully you're gonna get an artistic cake. And then, Part of the masterpiece, also in my mind, master, the first syllable, the first part of that phrase, reminds me of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that no man can serve two masters. And as I come into the shop, I think, who am I going to serve today? And as I write out masterpiece on any piece of paper to this day, I pretty much always think master. You know, I see that word embedded in there. And who am I going to serve? And I want to live my life and run my shop in a way that honors Jesus Christ. That's yeah, that's a great that's a great name. And so you you mentioned that in the book that part of the reason you're you did all this fighting and that you fought in court is for future part of it is for future generations. What do you mean by yeah. that? Well, one of the main reasons I wrote the cost of my faith when I was first approached with the idea was I wanted to Put it put down a, a writing a story um, details of what happened especially for my my kids um my i have three kids my daughter works for me i have a son in california and another daughter in canada and i wanted them to be able to understand and know exactly what happened and further than that i wanted my grandkids to be able to have a, an account of it because you're not going to find everything you can find any version of it you want online and i wanted them to have mine but also realized you know, three or four or five years ago, however long ago, that this is not about Jack Phillips, you know, let's fight for him so he can start making cakes again. This is for every American to be able to live and work freely according to their conscience without fear of punishment for the government. And so we were hoping to continue to fight for everybody's defense. We're even defending the rights of the people who are suing us because they may not value all of those rights now, but at some point they might, and they would wonder what happened to them. Well, let's fight for them now. Exactly. Yeah. And the last chapter of your book is called Lessons Learned. And what what was one of the most important things you learned through all of this? I think that's 
that's one of the most important things. If this is not about me, this is about everybody. But one of the most important things for me is that I need to remember who the master is and who I serve every day as I go through every every phase of my life. When I'm whether I'm working, whether I'm mowing my yard, whatever, that Christ is my Lord, my Savior, and God is in control over over everything and His decisions and way that he runs the universe is good yes and i know i mean i'm sure i know the answer to this question but i'm just going to ask what knowing all that you know now and all you've gone through the last almost nine years would you still make the same decision back in 2012 absolutely and if i sat down with those two men that day in 2012 knowing this was ahead of me i would have said everything i said word for word I wish I would have had more time to talk to them, to explain it to them. But what I said to them in in 19 words and 20 seconds was, I will serve you, but I can't create every cake that people ask me to create because of the message generally that it's involved. And that I would be more than willing to fight for this for their sake, for my sake, for my kids' sake. And what so? And what's it like to be? Because uh, you mentioned this in the book. You're you're known as the guy who wouldn't bake the cake. What is that like to have that kind of out there? <laughs> I wish it was the guy who rather wouldn't bake the cake, but the guy who would serve everybody but wouldn't create that cake because of that message. But it's still it is what it is. But people sometimes recognize me when I'm out in public and say, "Hey, you're that guy." And it's like it gives me the opportunity not only to explain the the case, but quite often to share my faith. Well, guys, I highly recommend this book. The book is The Cost of My Faith, How a Decision in My Cake Shop Took Me to the Supreme Court. With It's Jack Phillips. And Jack, I thank you so much for being on the show. And, and it's so encouraging. I really recommend this book because it's so encouraging. I think it will edify people's faith as you, as it did your faith, this whole experience and your daughter's faith. And I think it will encourage people. I think it will help people strengthen their own convictions about certain issues of the, of the Christian faith. And so uh, God bless you. You're a trooper and uh, thank you for being on the show. And uh, we, I, I'm excited to, I look forward to hearing the outcome of this latest case. Well, thank you, Mr. Cook. I, it honestly is really such an honor to be on your show today. Thank, thank you, Jack. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a great day, guys. You too. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Hi friend, are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of too? Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science, inspired by God's Word, to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.